welcome to Interdisciplinary, Healwell's Healthcare Podcast. This week we are bringing you another one of our favorite episodes from the archives. This is our conversation with Gil Headley from December of 2020. We hope you enjoy, and if you enjoy Interdisciplinary, please tell a friend, uh, write us a review, give us some stars, get your dogs and cats and friends and colleagues to give us a listen, and we thank you for your support. Uh, as you know, we like to start every show with a little pun. Are you guys ready for this one? I don't oh, know yeah. if you are. So I, uh, I submitted uh, 10 of my best puns to a national uh, pun competition. I, I figured one of them would win, but no pun in 10 did. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, nice. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, so we are so excited again. I, I think like the last, I don't even know how many episodes, Kathy and I are in like a, a virtual brawl on the ground trying to decide who gets to introduce our guest. But um, today <laughs> we have uh, the inimitable Gil Headley joining us and uh, we're going to let Gil do uh, an introduction and, uh, and tell us everything that we should know about Gil. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gil. That's a lot to know about me. Um, and uh I'm, I'm kind of a, I enjoy anatomy. I, I kind of am a ho addicted hobbyist. Uh, my background academically was not in anatomy, but in theological ethics. Uh, so I got my PhD, University of Chicago in theological ethics. But while I was doing that, I challenged my disembodied state and started practicing Tai Chi, studying massage, and uh, kind of stepping into my, my own physicality in a way that was not particularly coherent with getting a PhD in theological ethics. <laughs> and so I kind of moved right along out of that world and into another world, that being um, kind of the bodywork field as a rolfer. I trained and then dropped that pretty quickly as I realized I didn't know any anatomy and started studying anatomy and realized that that was my squeeze to share what I was discovering in the lab with other fellow practitioners. Um, so I moved out of my practice after about four years when I had enough going in the anatomy department to keep myself busy and fed. Yay. Yes, indeed. Well, and I, I feel like you know, you say that you sort of dropped the uh, the theological ethics, um, but I mean, anyone who spent any time with you in the lab knows that you didn't really drop it. You just stopped going to that place. <laughs> I stopped the academic. Yes. Yeah, I stopped the academic engagement and and lingo. Yeah. Uh, because I found it obfuscating and um, elitist. Yeah. And and that the the. Um, what passes for engagement with the body and the meta world of the University of Chicago, I found to be um, painful, literally physically painful. And, uh, and I wanted to overcome my, my physical pain. And I worked at that through discovering my own body and trying to get into it as it were. Uh, well, and I, I would say that that's a perfect description when you say, you know, that there was elitism and obfuscation, because I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about your, um, you didn't mention in your introduction, and to be really clear for listeners who might not be aware of what I think is some of the coolest work you do, which is working with donor forms and working in what we um, crudely call the cadaver lab, uh, that- That works, cadaver lab. <laughs> when you are introducing your donor form, you just everything you do about how you work with this human body, whichever human body it might be, it, it seems that you, it seems effortless that you make a point to not engage in obfuscation or elitism, that you really want it to be accessible and that it's as much about being a better body worker for the people who are in your class as it is about being a more informed human about the vessel that you carry, that carries you around. Yeah, I'm interested in the whole person, and that is rooted in my studies back in grad school. 
Um, I was a pious Catholic at the time, and uh, personalism is a kind of a branch of Catholic moral philosophy that I am steeped in. And, and so I showed up in the lab with an appreciation of the whole person and a respect for the whole person. And, and in that sense of the whole person, I felt like at least at the academic level, the body was left out. Um, not only left out, but avoided um, even while pontificated about. <laughs> so I thought it would be a little more genuine if I engaged or had a sense of my own body. And the lab was really a strategy on my part, um, not only as a <clears throat> professional body worker to improve myself in that realm, but really more importantly for me to, to get grounded a bit and, and to allow the body to speak to me rather than me given orders from a disembodied intellectual framework, given orders to people with bodies about their bodies. It didn't it seem kind of um, not right. <laughs> you know? And so coming into the lab, um, you know, I know that it's as much, not just for me, but for everyone else who's there, their engagement with the form is going to transform their own relationship their physicality in a way that is not predictable in the specifics, but is guaranteed in the overarching impact. You know, on top of, you know, the professional development aspect. But to me, that's, that is professional development aspect when you, when you're not just thinking about what you're touching, but yeah. feeling feeling yourself, feeling what you're in connection with. Yeah. Gil, has there been like a moment in the lab that for you is, was one of those moments that was just um, profound? I mean, I'm sure there have been many, but, <laughs> but if you can share, you know, one or two of those moments for you that were just, you know, it exploded your brain. Oh my gosh. I have to literally mop my brain up off the floor on a daily basis. <laughs> you do. <laughs> because I I've I've used, you know, at first I used my my schooling to blow out my dogmas. And that was very useful tool for dismantling things that you think about. All you got to do is get into history a little bit and suddenly your world crumbles when you realize the world hasn't always been exactly as you're experiencing it in this moment and that it won't be tomorrow. So the lab then also has been a tool for me dismantling my conceptual world, my experience in my body and just getting called out on shit by people is pretty <laughs> profound. Yeah. You know, like, dude, like, no, like, like, like you've, you're living in a fantasy here. You know, <laughs> like, oh, they're right. I might get mad. I might pout, but I'll come around, you know? Yeah. So one day, years ago, many years ago, when we were dissecting the superficial fascia, and at that time, I was still kind of rolfing it off the body. I didn't have much. My dissection technique developed very slowly over decades. I'm pretty good at it now. Yeah. If I do say so. Yes. But uh, at the time, it was, I was just kind of like, okay, this is the stuff that you can get your hands under and kind of pull off. So let's do that. And it really created a, a bit of a mess in terms of the aesthetics. And it was also really uncaring. Um, I didn't know it was uncaring <laughs> until I saw people crumbling around me um, in pain and anguish over what we were doing. Basically, the mesomorphs would tear the superficial bash off the body and the endomorphs would run out of the room crying and screaming. Um, and one lady came up to me and pointed at the melee happening behind us and said, you did this. And I was like, I didn't do it. It's just like the 
nature of the tissue. <laughs> like, you know, it was like my cover. <laughs> and she's like, no, you did it. I was like, I'm gonna think about that really carefully. And I did. This was a, a, a world changer for me, really, because um, being called out like that, it gave me something to ponder. Well, maybe there's something in what she's saying. Did I do that? How did I do that? And I thought, hmm, you know, this is, this tissue provokes an emotional reaction. Yeah. I know that. So maybe I need to do it better. You know, maybe, maybe um, as carefully as I can expose its more external surface, maybe I could expose the rest of it more carefully. Basically, I just started dissecting superficial fascia the way I dissect skin, you know, take it off as a, as a layer. And that was a total world shift, um, I think, because that gave me the, the, the inroad to demonstrating the whole superficial fascia as an organ with integrity and its own functions and textures. And I, mean, I already knew that, but I didn't know how to demonstrate it. But that provocation, both on my part and on that participant's part, um, kind of launched me into an inspection of my dissection technique. And it turns out that when you change the technique, um, you can see a new world. Mm. And that new world, when people enter it, is profoundly uplifting and positive rather than um, just a, <clears throat> a disturbing provocation. So that would be one, <laughs> one, little, one little thing among a thousand uh, that, that, that has moved me over the years. Also just something else that moves me a great deal and has blown me away is the profound uh, humanity of the people who show up. Because really, as much as I am a caretaker of the dead and cherish that responsibility, I'm more, even more so, a caretaker of the living in the room. And although I don't see everything that's going on, I know what goes on for people after 27 years or something, and can create a space that's uh, that acknowledges that even though we might just maybe know each other's names, maybe, and maybe remember that that person came from BC or DC um, <laughs> or AC, DC, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, um, that underneath that surface, their dad died three weeks ago, um, their spouse just left them. <laughs> They just got fired or hired or uh, profound things are going on in everybody's lives right beneath the surface. And if you're going to judge people for whatever, because they came from a city and therefore you think you know who they voted for or something, then you just douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that there's such, a, such more depths to people than these most surface identifications and that, uh, that it's possible, it's actually possible to hold space for opposites. And it's awesome. and, and to be so spacious that those things aren't so important. Mm. I've never met a cadaver who I didn't like. <laughs> uh, and because I don't, I'm not looking at their surface. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going into their depths. And, and their depths mirror my own. And there's more to identify with there than to, um, than to separate from. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I'm certainly not aware of anyone else there that is approaching this work in the way that you are, Gil, and just that really profound metaphor of the depth of humanity and emotion and feeling and how it is represented in the physicality 
um, of our body. So, yeah, I just think what you're doing is extraordinary because it, it is done in such a different way than I think what is traditionally or, or typically as a as a first year massage therapy student, I had the opportunity to um, spend the day in a cadaver lab at one of our, our universities um, back in Ontario where I did my massage therapy training. And I can tell you the experience was not that and not even close to that or nothing that even remotely had flex of that. <laughs> I had, well, I've had numerous people come study with me and then go on to do a medical training or what have you. I can remember getting a call from someone after their first day in the lab at medical school and they were literally on the edge of tears. They were like, this isn't what we did. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I'm like, this is just another way of seeing things and another way of doing things and you can learn a lot from it. So focus on that and don't worry about how it's different. Uh, but it is different. Um, very well, different. and I think it speaks to, I mean, just the, it's one of those goes without saying, but doesn't go without saying that, like, it is not a surprise then that I feel like for medical students, this is one of the many ways they're taught to brace themselves. And yeah. that the way that their experience in the cadaver lab happens is it actually supports disconnection and disembodiment. Um, yeah, that's kind of like, one of the one of the goals, actually, it's not so much about learning anatomy, yeah, but about establishing a disposition of objectivity, which is ridiculous, yeah, philosophically yeah. and and actually and practically. Yeah, it's also about teaching them differential diagnosis. It's actually kind of good for that. It's like you got forty seconds. You have to name three flag pins. Um, and so you have to very quickly go through a deductive reasoning process in your mind. Can't be this, can't be that, can't be this, can't be that, must be that, maybe. So I'll pick that. That's differential diagnosis. And that, that, that part of it sticks yeah. for a while. But the anatomy part, 95% of it's gone by senior year, says the studies. Yeah. Um, but also that, you know, that where you might go, whatever, your whole semester with the hands, feet, and head wrapped. Yeah, yeah. Or they always start with a yeah, hands, feet, head, wrap, face down. Mm -hmm. Whereas I start face up, completely exposed, in a circle, holding hands, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and trying to actually make a connection because I feel that respect arises from connection, not from disconnection. And yeah. so I don't have to give speeches about respecting the donor. Yeah. You know, because you've just we've stood literally stood them up mm -hmm. in front of us. We stand them up, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> and so that you're actually, you know, confronted even more so with the humanity that once lived there. That this is a human form. It's not a dog. It's not yeah. a. It's not a mouse. It's a human form. It's not a person, because as I mentioned in my interest in the whole person, certainly the flesh remnant of a person is not the person the whole person. So I'm never worried about cutting into a person. Surgeons do that. I don't do that. Yeah. Um, but I can look at this model, this, this footprint, this used sneaker of a person and, and see the, uh, and see the echoes and the, and the impressions and the tracks of, uh, of life and personality there. And I feel like the more fully you confront that upfront personal and immediately, uh, the quicker you'll actually not be afraid. It's just like, not that scary, really. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And then rather than hiding something behind a curtain for six months and building up the tension and giving you dark dreams for the whole semester until it's finally that moment. And it's like, oh, what's the big deal? It's a, it's a face. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, but also I don't do the, like, like, here's a body on a table and I rip the, right. rip the sheet back to fuck with people. Yeah. Um, not at all, because <laughs> that, that is the thing, you know, you see it on TV, right? Like, yeah. oh, and then half the room just passes out. Right. Nobody passes out in my class. Yeah. Nobody passes out because you're, you're actually connecting rather than disconnecting. You don't pass out when you're connecting. It's the opposite. You connect with each other. You connect yeah. with, you connect with the 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 gift on the table and yeah. then you have a, a different experience and from that starting point 
it's just gets better. You fall in love. Yeah. Well, and you know, you say that by fourth year, you know, they forget the anatomy, but they, they don't forget the, the sort of trauma and disconnection from the body, I feel like. And we see that translate into the way that physicians need so much support in terms of resiliency and connection and, you know, the increased suicide rate and just the way that we're not taught people who decide to be physicians or even nurses aren't really taught that the humanity is where it's at. You know, they're sort of done a disservice by the way that they're taught. Yeah. And also the, the regional approach, which has its practical aspects in terms of the medical curriculum. When you sort of like on day one, it's like, show us the nerve that goes to the traps. Well, you're going to just going to heave off slabs of skin in superficial fashion. You're going to scrape away deep fashion. You're going to cut the thing right down the middle of the belly and flap it open. And there's the nerve. It's like, we did it, you know, but uh, now you have this jiggledy piggledy approach on the table. And then the next Monday you have to do the, the lower limb that same way. And before, and, and still the skin is still on the here and there. And, and then all the layers are out at the same time. And there's no sense of continuity or relationship. And in fact, each, each new region that you go to, you're tasked with removing the skin in superficial fascia, the deep fascia to find that named structure. And if once you've done that 16 weeks in a row, you're like slabbing that shit in a bucket like it's like it's your right. enemy. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not because the people are bad or anything like that. It's literally the, the structure of the process, the container that they've built for engaging with the form is is a is a kind of approach that's that's um, that's incoherent and inadequate to the continuities that are present on the table. So it's actually, it, it took a little bit of dreaming, it took a little bit of dreaming to come up with what I do wasn't done, right? So, right. so I had to kind of dream that up. And in dreaming it up, the dream was, wow, what if I could see the I, I want to see with my eyes as a textural continuity that I feel with my hands. Yeah, yeah. That I learned about in my rolfing training. Right. That I was taught to touch, you know, because it's like the body knows nothing of regions. Right. It right. knows it has no lines in it. It has no borders. It just has transitions from one texture to another as one thing. And so the insight to you know, try and show that, you know, put me on a different dissection path, which it turns out it is way easier to work with the skin for one day in a really intense way. Yeah. And then have it be reflected and removed mm -hmm. than to keep coming back to it in these extremely distorted ways where it's torn here, but not there and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it looks like something got run through it you know, a plane propeller yeah. and, and it, and it doesn't make sense to our, to our own bodies anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's not, a, it's not an, it's not a helpful mirror. Yeah. To, in other words, when the body on the table is all higgledy piggledy like that, what's being mirrored is discontinuity, disruption, destruction, um, rather than, than beauty, continuity, texture, relationship. And when you, when, so, you know, by morning number two in, in my whatever kind of classic six day class, you know, you're looking at the superficial fascia as a whole. Yeah. You've had your experience of the skin. Now you're going to have a whole day experiencing that superficial fascia, but you're not going to come back to chunks of it every week for 16 weeks or whatever. That would be disturbing. That's disturbing. Yeah. It's as disturbing as my initial approach to dissecting it when I was not skilled enough or perceptive enough or I didn't understand the texture enough <coughs> to demonstrate it. Um, I think one of the best compliments I ever got <coughs> uh, was from, I got a lot of backhanded compliments in grad school. <laughs> You've read more of this than anyone who's ever come to the University of Chicago. 
too bad you don't understand it. <laughs> like, <laughs> so anyway, I got a very front-handed compliment from, uh, I had just done a talk, um, Alex and uh, Allison Gray at their, at their studio that they had down in Manhattan. Um, and I gave a talk there and, and a slideshow and what have you. We had a great crowd. And uh, afterwards, they kind of, um, Alex said something to the effect that he basically acknowledged me as an artist, which I hadn't thought of myself as an artist. Uh, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm a sculptor actually. And, um, and then he, uh, and a photographer, but what he was acknowledging was that it takes a lot of practice to master a single texture as a sculptor, whether it be clay or marble or wood or whatever you're working with. And when you're working with the body, you actually have to master a number of textures um, to truly reveal them. And that's true also as a body worker, right? In other words, if, if you've only mastered the muscle texture and you ignore all the rest of it, well, what's the point? You know, you're not really meeting not only the whole person, you know, I mean, the whole body, they're living, that whole person is living in that whole body. Yeah. So if you're just um, honed in on one texture and have no comprehension or connection or relationship to the rest of them, you're, you're, you're limiting your service potential. So whether it's as a sculptor or a body worker or whatever, the more experience you have in understanding the properties and the, and the qualities and the differences and the relationships from one, from one biological texture to another, um, the, the more opportunity you have to serve, explore, understand, comprehend, and grow. Well, and to be accurate, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like when you talk about, I think about, I was lucky enough to go to a massage school that is near a medical school where we had a relationship where we got to go into the cadaver lab with the medical students, but it was very close to the end of their lab experience. So as you said, everything had already been reflected and not even, I mean, you reflect <laughs> the skin and the various layers, things had been chunked up and yeah. Everybody wanted to see the psoas and everybody wanted to see the sartorius and, and you know, pectineus. And it, you leave there thinking that when you touch that part of the body, that is what you're touching. And you, I feel like when, I, like I just attended one of your um, virtual six day uh, things earlier during the whole COVID situation. And um, you, by the time you get to that, you stopped even caring about it almost. Like you're like, there's so much other stuff between the surface of this body and the psoas that like, so what almost? And and you sort of go like, this whole so thing- as what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it, that leads me to one of the things that I'm so, I just like, if I were a cartoon character, little hearts would have been coming out of my eyes as I watched you talk about the adipose layer because I really, uh, and it sounds like that was a progression even for you, but the way- That was a huge progression. How could you not love your adipose layer after watching you talk about it? And and I have, you know, I, I we all have our baggage about our adipose and um, we had some guests on a few weeks ago to talk about fat shaming and big bodies and sort of how much work we have to do as a culture around this. But I, I, I just want you to talk about the adipose layer and your relationship to it and the, you know, you, you just like, rolled your eyes about the progression that it was for you. Like, tell us about that. Well, I showed up to the lab as a skinny, muscular guy. And uh, with very little, little adipose to show. So from my own physical experience of myself, I really didn't have a relationship with it to speak of. Yeah. Couldn't say negative, positive, or otherwise. And then when I started doing dissection, like I said, that I mean, when I finally had the insight to dissect in layers and gave it a try, you know, we kind of got the skin off, not in elegant swaths, but in potato chips. Uh, <laughs> still, having done so and been careful for what was underneath it, we revealed this incredible yellow fleece. Yeah. And I was stunned and 
amazed as were the few people who helped me to do that the first time, to do that to the whole body, you know? And we were, I was like, is that instructive? They're like, that's instructive. I was like, yeah, for me too. Like, I can't believe it. It's amazing. Like, where, where's the picture of that in the book? You know, it doesn't yeah. exist. Where's the, where are the lessons on that? So I immediately, you know, knew that something big was in front of us, something important. Um, but then, you know, when you, the relationship of superficial fascia, what's underneath it is varied. So sometimes it's membranous so that it can move, right? So you put your hand on your forearm, skin and slip it, it back and forth. Um, you're, you're, you're moving your skin and your superficial fascia and you're distending the perifascial membranes that intervene between the fatty uh, tissues and the, and the deep fascia. And so I didn't know all that <laughs> at the time. <laughs> all I knew was that sometimes I could, I could kind of get my fingers underneath it, sometimes I couldn't. So the places where I could get my fingers underneath it, I did, and it was really cool. I could show like these sort of sheets of it. And that was fascinating to me. And I found myself appreciating that. And then, the, then there are places, it turns out it's not like that <laughs> continuously, you know, there are anchor points for our superficial fascia where there's a more fibrous relationship and not a membranous relationship between the superficial and the deep layers. So I didn't understand that either. All I knew was I could get it off of here and here it was really tough. <laughs> so you start kind of yanking at it because uh, you're already using your hands. I didn't even think to pick up the scalpel and you're yanking at it. And then it's like, oh shoot, I tore it or crumbled or I broke it or whatever. And now this thing that was a unity and, uh, and a continuity is now starting to become you know, disrupted and broken, etc. and doesn't look as pretty anymore. And you just want to then, then after a while, like psychologically, you just want to make it go away at a certain point, because it's like, this is a fucking nightmare that I've created here. And I gotta, <laughs> like, I gotta try and get through this. And then you kind of accelerate in your anxiety and start to kind of pull and rip and get, get things off. And, and then it creates that kind of thing I described earlier. And so, that was disturbing, right? To me too. Like it wasn't just this poor lady crying. I'd go home and like howl at the moon. I, it was like crazy making. And I had nightmares. I had nightmares for years. I had whatever. It was night, it was nightmarish what I was doing. And and so uh, I had to work through that. Because I'm like, I know I'm having nightmares here, but I know that's good. You know, so. I've got to work through that, you know, and I'm, I'm disgusted. It's horrifying. I, I've, I've, it's horrible. You know, so I'm having this horrible experience of this thing that I know is a beautiful integral part of the body. So I'm like, something must be wrong with me. You know, I got to work through that and keep coming back to it and keep coming back to it and then developing the dissection technique and seeing more because when you first go into a dissection lab, you know, and you don't have any capacity, visual discernment or textual discernment capacity. It just looks like a big, scary yellow mess. Yeah. It takes a long time before you can start to see nerves and lymphatics and collagenous matrices and differences in lobule shapes, sizes, and organization. Yeah. Um, start to see function, start to see um, differences in depth, differences in texture within that layer and start to realize this is a complicated, amazing world, you know? And so it took, it took me years to build up so many aspects of appreciation for what I was handling and enough dissection skill to, to properly contain and showcase those aspects of appreciation so that a person can walk into the lab now and on day one, they're like, Oh my God, that's amazing. You know? Um, with the, and, and just sort of skip over that, you know, 10, 10 year learning curve uh, that it took me to get to, you know, Mr. Agape's sort of smoking jacket or, <laughs> or, or uh, Venus, Venus Mary's, you know, whole body wedding dress. Yeah. Now that, that, that was 10 years it took me to get to that. And so that, and to come from nightmares to appreciation. Yeah. And that 10 years of work plus another 15 or 16 now have, has enabled me to create a, a 
entrance point for people that that spares them that 10 years of fucking misery yeah. that I went through to to um, to kind of actualize the initial insight that something amazing was in front of me. I always knew something amazing was in front of me. I, I didn't always get to experience that though. That took a long time. Yeah. Can you even can you even speak to um, the can you imagine how you might have felt had you not had the influence? This is, this is a crazy question. The influence of culture around fat. Like, was it partly about that? Or was it really just about this thing that had gone unnoticed in your previous explorations? It's more, more that. I didn't really realize uh, as much what a, what a cultural problematization fat was. Um, Initially, I think, like I said, I didn't really have much of a relationship with it. I was just a skinny, muscular guy. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife at the time was fleshy. I had no objections. Seemed kind of yummy. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think I was a, a fat hater showing yeah. up. Yeah. You know, and then I became terrified and horrified for a period of time. Yeah. And yet I knew that something was off there. And I, I, I was like, oh, actually, it's not just me. This, the, our whole culture is terrified and horrified of this. And in fact, yogurt is labeled like non-fat. That's right. virtue. You know, yes. you know yogurt, yogurt packaging virtue signals with yes. loud <laughs> emblems of fat-freeness. You know, yes. and you just got to just go to the cookie aisle because, you know, that yogurt's not going to do shit for you. You're going to eat it and be starving. So you got to go eat something yummy afterwards. <laughs> they left the fat out of it, you know, or took yeah. the fat out of it. So same thing with people. You take all the fat out of them. They're not quite as yummy. Um, uh, I have, you know, I have watched people die of inanition, you know, starvation. And, yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, that's that's a problem for humans. You know, yeah. lose our fat actually, and and to, and again, building these aspects of appreciation, and I did come to, basically acknowledge not only the problematization of the fatty layer, but the problematization of every layer and the whole body in itself. In our culture, we have a very disturbed relationship to our to our our embodied reality, where each aspect and texture of it is deeply problematized by the culture, and then you're sold commodified solutions to the problem you're told you have for having a body. So there's a, a kind of a deep lack of acceptance of, of embodiment in, in itself. And I don't think the ac academic world that I was a part of is, is much of a help at all. It's actually yeah. part, part of the problem. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, so I, I came to, over the years, spend a lot of time uh, doing culture critique, really. Mm, yeah. Um, because I know that people who are walking in the door to the lab, who I'm going to attempt to sort of bring into the Church of Adipose, yes. um, <laughs> are, are not necessarily going to be, be going to go there kicking and screaming. Yeah. So I have to kind of, I headed off at the pass, not always directly. I'm a very indirect and sneaky person basically because i found yeah. that if you go straight against someone's defenses you make very little progress yeah but if if you kind of go around them and underneath them and support a person in discovering something they'll 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 find it for themselves that you don't have to preach it so much yeah or try and convince anybody of it you just show them the reality and then they'll start asking questions of their own um presuppositions and many, 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 many people <laughs> have walked away from the class saying, my gosh, you know, I got into the shower last night and I was like, this stuff is cool. You yeah. Know, and came to <laughs> yeah. a place of appreciation for their bodies that they didn't have beforehand, a respect yeah. and appreciation that kind of quickly, you can actually go past the cultural problematization quicker than you think. And that can have different, that can play out very differently for different people. For some people, they just like, because uh, the reality of the human body is that it's variable, extremely variable. And don't let any freaking government chart 
um, uh, convince you otherwise that there's yeah. some sort of mean or average that everyone should kowtow to to be healthy. It's not true at all. Body variety is the norm, not the exception. Yeah. Nobody is the mean and it's mean to think otherwise. So <laughs> right. when we accept the fact that some bodies are more fleshy than others uh, by nature, by personality or by whatever, by dietary preferences, like, sorry, some people think certain things are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and they want to eat them. You right. know, that's just the fucking reality of it. It's delicious yep. and I want to eat that. And yeah. don't shame me because my taste buds are oriented to find this delicious. And, 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 um, and, and yet we shame ourselves. We don't need a culture to shame us. Once you're in the culture, you shame yourself. Yeah. And it's, it's a brutal um, reality to live in that constant uh, shame of your body when, you know, if someone's got what's considered culturally to be the Rolls Royce body and someone else has got the, like, got the loser body or whatever, or the more, the immoral body, it's immoral. Can't you control yourself? No, I have a larger body than you. Yeah. Bitch. You know, so the thing is that that's how it, that's how it is. And, and, um, and I think that when you start to see just basic, simple differences in the lab, yeah. Like, oh, put, a femur from one body next to a femur from another body. They're very different. Yeah. In every way. Yeah. Like the, the, the length of the neck, the, the, the head, the, the distance from here to there, the shape of the trochanter, the, the lesser and the greater, their relative orientation, um, uh, the, the twist in the bone itself and, and, the, and, the, and the rate at which the twist, twist expresses. You know, in other words, the differences uh, are extraordinary in, in the most simple thing. We can't expect it to be any different in any other texture of the, of the body. Anthropologists understand this. They know we're that fatty primate. Yeah. You know, we're, yeah. The, we're the fatty primate. We're the ones with the, with the, shiny, the shiny skin uh, and the fat underneath it. Right. Um, that's, that's the human thing. And just to, because whatever, there's heroin chic walking down the fashion runways uh, doesn't speak to the reality of the human body, which just means that human coat hangers will get paid more um, if they wear certain things. Because You know what I'm saying? In other words, yeah. it's like there's nothing wrong with being skinny either. I'm not a skinny yeah. eater or a fat, like fat girl's best friend kind of thing. I've been called that. And I'm like, you know, actually, no, it's kind of all good and interesting to me. If you can't find the sensuality in a skinny body, you're not getting it either. You know what I'm saying? Because the life force is flowing where it flows. Well, I think so, you're, you're pointing to something. I mean, I think that you're, whether the epiphanies happen in your classroom or later, uh, the service that I feel like you're doing to body workers, uh, in particular for body workers. I mean, I just, I just finished reading um, Sonia Renee Taylor's The Body is Not an Apology, and she is all about embracing radical self-love but throughout the book she talks about you can't have radical self-love for yourself if you don't have it for all bodies and mm -hmm. if you don't have it more broadly and i i really think that as body workers we work with the body in a direct relationship to our own relationship to our body and so Absolutely. if i if i feel like i need to get my my you know forearm in here and and quote lengthen your it band like I'm probably bringing that own aggression to my body. And, and I think one of the things that I have learned from the bit of coursework I've done with you is I've learned so much more about what I'm not doing um, and what massage school taught me I was doing. And then I've been like, oh, what they told me I was doing isn't even possible. Like <laughs> when you look at the IT band, it's like, it's like a Chinese finger trap. Like it, if you stretch it, it's just going to stretch back. Like you, that's you can't stretch your it, goal. Actually. You can't stretch it, right? No, I, it depends on that. I'm going to, I'm going to qualify that actually, because I've actually tested this in the lab um, with like weight, you know? Yeah. So the, the, the IT band from say uh, up high to down by your knee, right? Yeah. That direction. What direction is that up and down, right? The fibers, the very thick collagenous fibers that run in that direction are not distensible. They're not meant yeah. to be distensible. No matter yeah. how many times you run your blade, your elbow down, it just fucking hurts. And so you get someone saying, it hurts, oh, because it must need it. And then you do it some more. It's just like wrong headed. Now, the fact is that the IT band does stretch. So for all those people who say the IT band does not stretch, I'm going to have to 
I'm going to have to challenge that. It stretches, uh, it expands. In other Laterally. words, you flex your thigh. Yeah, it expands circumferentially. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, because so, it's not flat. Excuse me? Because it's not flat, right? It doesn't just go out. Yeah, it, like, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, so the thing is that you have these up and down fibers uh, that are very thick and very tough and not, not prone to uh, distension. But the weave, the weave of the, of the IT band and the fascia lata in general, which is different around the leg, I can identify many different patterns that you see just in the fascia lata. But it, say at the IT band where you have a, a, a very 90 degree type grid of up and down fibers and then cross fibers. And the cross fibers are in two layers on either side of that up and down grid. So you basically have a three fiber layer sandwich of, and, and if you look under a microscope at the at the ones that are going kind of around, right? They're they're crimped, they're kinky, they're kinky fibers, and 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 they're enabled to and they're and they have the potential to expand to accommodate the the distortions in shape of our musculature as it as it as it's used as it's flexed, right? But it's not changing the the change the change in length is not from your from your your hip. Uh, you know, or from your iliac crest, say, to your knee joint. Yeah. That length is consistent, and it better be, or you're going to be so you're not going to be able to walk. <laughs> so, so you need that. But while you walk and use your musculature, the the dimension, of the girth, the girth of the thigh changes constantly, right? And and you have like these rubber bands, basically um, wrapped around the, circumferentially around your your thigh in the form of this fascia layer that enables those up and down fibers to have more space between them at certain points in the movement cycle. Uh, and it's really cool. And if I if I take if I take uh, a section of the IT band and I, I take clamps and it's not easy to clamp flesh, trust me. I've, I've been making strategies for, for <laughs> stressing tissue for, for a while now. And it just doesn't like it, it's, it's slippery stuff, you know, and you compress it. And it, anyway, so I got, I have various strategies, um, with metal and, and, and vice grips and stuff to, to clamp the top of the IT band and then do the same on the bottom and then suspend weights from the bottom. And I can, I can, I run out of strength. I, I, we only have about 70 pounds of weights in the lab here. So I can hang 70 pounds of weights off of an IT band without much anything happening at all. <laughs> but if I change the orientation, yeah, right? And I put it kind of widthwise, right? Yeah. So if I do it lengthwise with those tough, long fibers, nothing that happens, happens, right? And I, God knows how much weight I could put on it, more than I can lift. Yeah. Right? But, then, but then when I turn it sideways, uh -huh. can you imagine that? Turn, turn that long thing sideways now. I got a sideways leg and I, and I clamp it on the, in the other direction. Yeah. That would demonstrate its, its circumferential expansion. Mm -hmm. Hang weights on that, it tears at about 40, 40 45 pounds. Wow. Um, and when it does so, and I look at the torn tissue under the microscope, what I see is like the rubber bands have like sprung and they're going in all different directions. And the, and the more dense fibers have simply been been um, torn from one another. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's like, wow, this is such a fascinating weave of a fabric, a biological fabric. And, and so when people are like get into like debates on friggin' Facebook about whether fascia stretches, I'm like, uh, yes. And which one and in which direction, and you don't know what you're talking about. It drives me crazy because people are like fascia doesn't stretch collagen doesn't stretch. Or I'm like, actually, um, I can take like friggin' sticks and weave them, <laughs> you know, you know, in other words, uh, straw is not stretchy, but you can weave it into a, into a basket that's has stretch potential. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not always about the, the properties of a molecule. Yeah. It's about the properties of the way the, the, the organization of the fibers that the molecules have formed and how they're organized that enables something to be distensible. I like the word distensible because people freaking go ballistic. I have haters who hate me because I actually pronounce that. You spoke that, the truth. That dirty word, stretch. Oh, my God. <laughs> it doesn't stretch. <laughs> you know, I'm like, get over it. Well, and by the same token, our good friend Adipose, um, I think I saw a, a video that you did. Yeah, that's super. Yeah, that's wow. very stretchy. 
Yeah, well, stretch. If you can't wrong. stretch, you can't move. Right. Everything is distensible in the body. Otherwise, you're a friggin' two by four. Yeah. Um, but the adipose tissue, I mean, I think we assume it's stretchy, but I don't, I had no idea it was that strong. Yeah, me neither. I mean, holy cow. Like, I mean, and again, it all depends on how you do it. If, sure. you, put, if you put hooks into it, it just tears apart. But yeah. that's true with a rope too, right? You can have a rope right. that can hold a ocean liner to a dock, right? But if you unravel it in a certain way, you can break it with your fingers. Right. You know, so, you know, a, a, you know, pages of a telephone book, you can tear individually, but there's only a couple of magicians who can tear the whole damn telephone book, right? <laughs> so. That was like the thing when I was a kid in the early 70s, like tearing telephone books and spinning plates on sticks was like, yeah, like entertainment. Like you, you like, you like <laughs> lined up in front times. of your black and white TV to watch that shit. And we were like, whoa. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you go on YouTube and you type amazing. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Take me back to the plates. <laughs> yeah, <take laughs> spin my plates. Spin some plates, really please. Big, Gonna have a really big show here tonight. We're gonna spin 10, 10 plates at the same time. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and they always have that music in the background. Oh, definitely. Yes. <laughs> so Kathy is the resident um fashion geek. I feel like you probably have a, a three days of questions or comments. Well, I mean, uh, I was just gonna say anybody that knows me knows that I'm just like this is an early Christmas gift for me. And <laughs> knows that I'm just like losing my mind at all of this because of course yes I t-band in my stocking. <laughs> no. That would be amazing. Yeah. Are you guys taking notes? <laughs> <laughs> but you know it just you know all of this conversation for me is just so yummy and juicy. And of course we know that tissue is different in living bodies when it's juicy than when it's when it's not. Um, but you know, oh, it's I mean, plenty juicy afterwards. Too, yeah. Right? So everything about this is just, um, you know, I think about my work as a massage therapist over 30 years, and I've often said that for for me, one of the most important things that I do is to perhaps assist people in um, engaging with their body and developing their relationship with their body. It's not so much about what I'm actually pushing or pulling on you know, with my hands so much, but it, it really is about that. Um, and I think what's missing in massage therapy, education and training is exactly all these things that Gil has been talking about, about the, the connection piece and not only from a physicality perspective, but all of those other perspectives as well. You know, when I got out of massage therapy school and started my practice and it was good and all, all was great, but I knew there was something missing that uh, there is not a magical line down the center of the body that this is the right half and that is the left half. Our body just isn't like that. And that's exactly how we're, we're taught, you know, and origin and insertion and this chunk over here and that chunk over there, you know, which set me off in my odyssey to figure out what am I missing here? And that sent me off studying you know, looking at anything that was written by the Rolf community and found Robert Schleip's website and then mm -hmm. found Gill and, you know, and then eventually the Fashion Research Congress. So, you know, and, and I, I think back on my career and I think I, I just don't know how we can do something positive or productive for folks when we're not aware of all this. And if we don't have the capacity to feel what we're touching. Yeah. Well, if you come to the lab, and then you go back to your books, you have a whole new collection of books. Yeah, yeah, right. Now you look back at the books and you're like, oh, I see what they were trying to draw. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I see, <laughs> I see um, what, you know, what, they're, what they want to convey, right? That there's communication happening in the books and they're doing the best that they can. Um, but when you have the larger context of a lab experience, then it's like, oh, okay, I see what they had to take off because I had to take that off to get yeah. to that spot. Yeah. And oh, oh, look, they, they, they left all that other stuff out because they wanted to show this. And that's really the only way you can draw or speak or communicate about anything at all. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it, it's what we're doing right now. We're parsing out reality with our mouth noises. 
Right. <laughs> and, and reality isn't any, any is unchanged by our lip flapping. Yes, true. And, and grunting and syllabic utterances, right? <laughs> and similarly, I can put my scalpel or my, I can put my pen to paper and parse up reality and try and communicate something. It'll never, it'll never be the whole because when you confront and encounter the whole, you stop talking. Yeah. It's nothing to say. No. It's indivisible and words divide, but that doesn't mean you should stop talking or stop dissecting or stop making books. It just means you should become conscious of limitations of what you're doing so that you don't fall for your model as a reality. A model, whether it be through speech or dissection or drawing is always a reduction of reality. And that's what we do and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. I do it my whole life. It's all I do, <laughs> but I know I'm doing it. Yes. And that's, that's maybe different. I'm not, I'm not really falling for it anymore. Right. I'm, not, I'm no longer as deeply susceptible to the illusions that I create as I used to be. Wow. That feels like a, that feels like a perfect wrap up. Actually, that's, that's the nugget of <laughs> well, if you haven't been in the lab with Gil, you need to do it. Um, and no matter who you are, um, I know not. And it's way easier to do online and a whole lot cheaper. That's true. You can so. sit in your living room and, and eat your dinner while Gil <laughs> reflects the skin layer and, and deeper. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think anyone with a body really should, should make that um, uh, something on their, on their bucket list because it, it will change, um, just as you said, like the way that it will change you will be very individual. But if you are not changed, you should call us because, um, yeah, we should do it together. If you're not changed, you you're something. in a box already. You missed something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yes. Um, Gil, any, any other parting wisdom for our listeners? Oh, from the wisdom factory. <laughs> yes. Can you go down to the wisdom files and pull yeah, them out? From the wisdom files. The wisdom, the wisdom is always your own. And, and literally, you're walking around with uh, the universe at, at your, literally at, your, at the touch of your fingertips in your own form. There's nothing missing there. There's nothing wrong. Uh, there's, there's nothing dirty or unacceptable. There's no orifice, there's no texture that doesn't belong there, that, that can't be uh, rightfully and pleasurably uh, explored, discovered, um, wondered at, and, uh, and uh, you know, the body's just a, a crazy, outrageous, amazing gift. And uh, anyone who tells you otherwise can fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Which would be good. Yes. Because, sorry, I don't know why I had to end on that. Yeah, well, you know, you perfect. Gotta, you gotta do it. Perfect. We, one of our, no, our God bless them is what I meant to say. That's, that's right. Close enough. Our, one of our foundational goals is to make our listeners uncomfortable. And you have done that in space. Congratulations. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for being with us today, Gil. You're welcome. It was a blast. It was indeed. Uh, I'm still Cal Cates, Executive Director of Heal Well, where we make massage therapy matter. And I am still Kathy Ryan, and thank you so much for joining us. We bring the perspectives of engaged and compassionate humans to issues of equity, education, healthcare access, and the advanced practice of essential humanity in our work as caregivers. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. You can send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at healwell.org. New episodes will be posted weekly via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. Thank you.